and there's a blitz on just today from all the media in all countries uh, about the need to stop eating meat from, of course, the big experts at the top that mean really that what they are are non-governmental organizations and foundations like the World Wildlife Fund. The Royal Society gets in the act as well. The first openly admitted Freemasonic Scientific Society given a charter to exist in London, England, that's had members all down through the last couple of hundred years, 300 years, they became very famous. They guide the world, you see. We believe what they tell us. They put in it too. And we talk about this when I come back from these messages because it's a news blitz coordinated into the new system of carbon reduction, etc. through the matrix just before the break I was talking about how there's a news blitz on to do with carbon taxes and cutting back on our food or waste etc and how they're going to save the planet and now that's been going on for ages yeah but when you see a blitz across all newspapers in every country at the same time you're looking at coordination coordination because a reality is given to us and it's also augmented by repetition and it's far better when they're all on board with the same topics at the same time because that will be the topics in various news articles on television as well and little debates that you'll hear, etc. That's how they get it across to us. As the trainers, we're getting trained, you see, to give everything up, everything up to save the world. And over the weekend, I managed to get just enough speed going on the satellite on that Explorer awful system uh, to, to watch part of a video and I think the guy's name who did the video was George Hunt I'll put the link up but he and I know nothing about the man except what he says on the video that he um, is an investor for you might say green energy like many are it's the only way to go obviously since it's the only thing that's been mandated and approved but he's been in business for a long time and he's attended a lot of these world wildlife meetings uh, the meetings with Maurice Strong and with Lord Rothschild, or Baron Rothschild. And in the video, he'll give you some clips of Rothschild and Strong and different ones talking. And what's interesting is that these, uh, these people, they all know each other so well because they belong to a very, very high, not quite secret organization, but it's semi-secret, obviously. But they all know each other very well. They're all on the same agenda. They all work towards the same cause. And it's a form of collectivism across the planet. They've been at, at it for centuries because you'll find each generation of Rothschilds have been involved in, in this type of movement, including population reduction, by the way. And you'll hear that the, the interesting part, too, is each time that Mr. Rothschild appears at these meetings, he advocates another uh, bank set up, an, an international bank, that seems to go through the United Nations, you would think, uh, but and it's always for conservation or or carbon uh, cutbacks or something like that or save the animals. But what you'll find out at the end of it all, it always ends up being a sub department of his private bank in Switzerland. So what what is a multi 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 trillionaire banker 
doing, getting the taxpayers' money and charity money to start up new organizations and put them through his bank, of course, where he'll reap the massive profits. Because he doesn't need the money, does he? We're in a system now, you see, to, to impoverish the world. It's in all, over, all over the papers today to do with the fact that, that even Mr. Brown in, in Britain, at an international meeting, has just called for a new Bretton Woods, and Obama's doing the same, and billions of dollars have to flood out of the first world countries, like the U.S., Canada, Britain, and so on. They're calling us first world, even though we're plummeting fast, and we've just been plundered by the same big bankers again. But regardless, under this new scheme, we've all to give this cash to these big elitists, the same bankers that plundered us into their private banks, which they'll hold in security for the world, obviously, for good things, you understand. And they'll manage uh, the whole world as they redistribute the wealth. That's how it is. Now, that's communism. That's part of collectivism and communism, redistribution of wealth, a plank of the communist manifesto. Remember, these are the same big players, the big boys in the foundations, Rockefellers, Rothschilds, and so on, who funded communism into existence and reaped a lot of benefits along the way, mind you, and all through the Soviet era. They also funded uh, I.G. Farben and the Nazis into existence and profited well off that too. Same people. Same people. Who are these people? Who are the Strongs and the Rothschilds? We know what they say they are, or at least what the popular media says they are. But what are they really? Who are they really? To put themselves in charge of the patriarchs of the world, the guardians along the, the, the lines of Plato, and constantly lying to the public because they really, really, really hate the public. On that video put up, you also hear one of the bankers from Montreal, Mr. Lang, I think it is, international banker, calling people cannon fodder. I've heard the other ones called people cannon fodder as well in the past. So I'll put that one up. But what's interesting here, here's a Rothschild, right? Now, now a previous Rothschild, Victor Rothschild, was the fifth man in aspiring that were sending secrets to Moscow. And a book was written about it, The Fifth Man, by Perry. Before that, Peter Wright, who worked for MI5 and 6, had pointed all through his book that the main suspect in passing information on to the Soviets was Victor Rothschild. And what really, why the book came out, the, the you know, spy catcher, why it came out was, was you see, why it was so, so angry that the main suspect had been put in charge by the British establishment over all security, including MI5 and 6, when they combined them all, like a supervisor. The reason being, of course, is that there was no, no Cold War to be. It was a pretense for the public to be. To be. Massive taxation went into to, to research and development for stuff that's enslaving us. Well, actually it is. It's enslaving us right now. That's what it's really all for, and to bring the world to its knees under the fear of being nuked at any moment. Rothschild's job was to make sure that no accidents happened at the top, this bridge, this bridge at the top, so that the top of the, of the Soviets, the top of Britain, would never, ever press any buttons. That's what it was. Amazing history. And before that, we find another, another Rothschild who set up 
the Cecil Rhodes Foundation that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs when it joined with the Lord Milner group. Uh, Milner and all the other boys were all big bankers. And Rothschild funded Cecil Rhodes' foundation from the beginning. And in the traditional method, too, when you're brought up from nothing to be a multi-multi-millionaire or billionaire, you must leave your money to the charitable foundation that brought you up and made you who you are. So he left it in his will. All his money went to Rothschild. The worker is worthy of his wages, you say. But here's another one. What I'm trying to show you here is they play all sides of everything, but it's not just for it's not for money. It's for total control and to bring in a world vision which they have is a special institution that's outside of what we think of as traditional religions, but it definitely is a religion. And believe you me, there are many Rothschilds in all ethnic groups across the planet. Some of them are very top Muslims. Some are very top Christians. Because they're chameleon. They'll adapt and hide behind. But always respectable and untouchable because of finance. But they definitely have an agenda. Here's an article here. It's from the Financial Times, United Kingdom. FT.com. And I've read a bit of this before, but here's June 26, 2009. Two of the biggest names in the city of London had previously undisclosed links to slavery in the British colonies. Documents seen by the Financial Times have revealed Nathan Meyer Rothschild, the banking family's 19th century patriarch, and James William Freshfield, founder of Freshfield's, the top city law firm, benefited financially from slavery. Records from the National Archives show even though both have often been portrayed as opponents of slavery. Far from being a matter of distant history, slavery remains a highly contentious issue in the U.S. where Rothschild and Freshfields are both active. Oh, you better believe there. Companies alleged to have links to past slave and justice have come under pressure to make restitution. It goes through J.P. Morgan, the investment bank. Now, you understand, these banks were all part of the same coterie with the Rothschilds, etc. Some of them were actually set up as frontmen for Rothschild and funded into existence. Jackie Morgan Investment Bank set up a five million scholarship for black students in Louisiana after apologizing in 2005 for the company's historic links to slavery. The archival documents already prompted one of the banks named in the records to take action in the U.S., when the FT approached Royal Bank of Scotland with information about its predecessor's links with slavery, the bank researched the claim, updated its own archives, and amended the disclosures of past slave connections that it had previously lodged with the Chicago authorities. But its disclosures about Mr. Rothschild and Mr. Freshfield that are likely to prompt the biggest stir. In the case of Mr. Rothschild, the documents revealed for the first time that he made personal gains by using slaves as collateral in banking dealings with a slave owner. There have been lots of slave owners he made the deals with. <clears throat> this will surprise those <clears throat> familiar with his role in organizing the loan that funded the UK government's bailout of British slave owners when colonial slavery was abolished in the 1830s. Now, don't you understand? Too, this was the same thing like collapsing the banks in the 1830s because so many of the big corporations ran their businesses on slaves. 
across the British Empire and in the United States. And Rothschild, as again, uh, came up and got the taxpayers, basically, to bail out and get, uh, the, the owners, the slave owners, so they could hire workers by using taxpayers' money. They've used every scam down through history, right to the present time. So it, was a, it was the biggest bailout of an industry in 1830 as a percentage of annual government expenditure, dwarfing last year's rescue of the banking sector. And here these guys are at the top of the world chain, the United Nations, planning our future and our demise. Back with more after these messages. funneling 
often from government to do with housing. There's already been scams coming up already about it, uh, into housing for poor people, etc. Because a lot of the money just didn't get there. In other words, he was groomed. He's had his apprenticeship. But it says, Obama helped years ago fund carbon program. He's now pushing through Congress. He funded the, the carbon program. He helped fund it. The same program that he's now pushing through Congress says a Fox News story by Ed Burns. In short, while on the board of a Chicago-based charity, Barack Obama helped fund a carbon trading exchange that will likely play a critical role in the cap-and-trade carbon reduction program he is now trying to push through Congress as president. The charity was the Joyce Foundation on whose board of directors Obama served and which gave nearly $1.1 million in two separate grants that were instrumental in developing and launching the privately owned Chicago Climate Exchange, which now calls itself North America's only cap-and-trade system for all six greenhouse gases with global affiliates and projects worldwide. And if you follow those affiliates, by the way, and you can do it off this site independently, you'll get the same Maury Strongs and Rothschilds and all the rest of it tied in with all of this because that's really who came up with the idea. And that's only the beginning of this tawdry tale, Mr. Barnes. The privately owned Chicago Climate Exchange is heavily influenced by Obama cohorts Al Gore and Maurice Strong. For years now, Strong and Gore have been cashing in on that lucrative cottage industry known as man-made global warming. Strong was on the board of directors of the Chicago Climate Exchange. He's also in the, working at the United Nations at the same time. Wikipedia described as the world's first and North America's only legally binding greenhouse gas emission registry reduction system for emission sources and offset projects in North America and Brazil. And it's privately owned. And it's all our tax money that's going, to, that's going through. Gore, self-proclaimed patron saint of the environment, buys his carbon offsets from himself, the Generation Investment Management, LLP, an independent private owner-managed partnership established in 2004 with offices in London and Washington, D.C., of which he is both chairman and founding partner. That's beautiful, eh? We all get soaked. We all get driven into the ground, and these guys profit because they own the very businesses that all the carbon money goes through. They own them all. So he sells carbon credits to himself. The Generation Investment Management business has considerable influence over the major carbon credit trading firms that currently exist, including the Chicago Climate Exchange. Strong, the silent partner, is a man whose name often draws a blank on the Washington cocktail circuit, even though a former Secretary General of the 1992 United Nations Conference on Environment and Development, the much-hyped Rio Air Summit and Under Secretary General of the United Nations in the days of an oil-for-food beleaguered Kofi Annan, the Canadian-born Strong is little known in the United States. That's because he spends most of his time in China for the United Nations, where he's been working to make the communist country the world's next superpower. Again, it's funded through the United Nations. But his aunt helped bring Mao Zedong into power. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
one watt. We're cutting through the matrix, just finishing off one article that finishes with Maurice Strong, this uh, player. Now, Maurice Strong was picked up by Rockefeller when he was a young man and groomed for all these United Nations positions. He's the guy who fronted for Rothschild, for Rockefeller uh, when they did the, the Rio Air Summit and all the other summits uh, that will be mentioned in that video. So I'll put that video link up by Hunt, and you'll hear them saying certain things and, and, uh, about the future and what's to come. And you'll, you'll find how they... You'll also get the gist of how they despise the common people. There's just too many of us. We're just useless eaters to them, you see. And these guys really believe they are so superior. But Strong was brought in to Canada from the United Nations uh, to be in charge of Ontario Hydro back in there, uh, late 80s, early 90s, when Bob Ray was the Premier of Ontario. And uh, Strong, his job, it turned out to be, was to start, start the process of privatization. Now, what they're doing, you see, in this new feudal system is getting governments to privatize that those institutions which were the publics, the public that set them up, funded them up, including all the big power projects and nuclear facilities and so on, and then they would sell it off cheap for pennies to their pals because they want, you see, their pals are strong or want to own the energy of the planet. That's what's happened. It's already happened. And Strong himself was, was found out at the time he was still getting a salary as a top man at United Nations. So then he, he says, okay, I'll stay on at Hydro till the job is done. And I'll take only $1 a month or something for a salary. That was awful big of him. But Strong also said at that time, early 90s, it was in the newspapers in Canada, that they're, they're not going to fix and maintain the energy resources like the nuclear facilities. Uh, he said, he said um, there'll be great shortages in the future. What he was talking about was, regardless of, of what parties come and go in politics, this agenda of bringing us down to third world status was, was a must-be. It was going to happen anyway. And he said, we shall use tax money and so on to fund big, massive generators to keep what existing factories are necessary and what large businesses and corporations are necessary to the system. That was back in the early 90s, before different prime ministers come and go. They've, they've never had to change their agenda. Nothing slows them up because Hoover is put in power, like Professor Carl Quigley said in Tragedy and Hope and his other book, The Anglo-American Establishment, is always a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, one of their boys. They always have the top people in all parties in their pocket. So that's why in the early 90s you could say there's going to be an uh, energy crisis in the future. Why? Because they were going to make it happen by not maintaining the existing ones. They were also going to shut down all coal plants for power. See, this is the real parallel government I'm talking about. The real one. Not this farce that we vote for. I can remember Brian Mulroney when he was put in uh, as Prime Minister. And I always say Putin, not by the people. And he ran on the ticket that he would stop the free trade negotiations in NAFTA. And then after two weeks, he was, suddenly was the champion of NAFTA. The guy who came in after him did the same thing for the other side, Mr. Kretian. Exact same. I'll get us out of it. Then he became the champion. But anyway, Mulroney 
uh, spearheaded this. It was a must-be. He said it was going to save us all, this, this union, to compete with the European Union and, and the, the Far East Pacific Rim region. And years later, on an interview, long after he was out of office, he was asked, will it really be, really be a good thing for Canada and the U.S.? And he said, I honestly don't know. Well, how can you say that years later, when at the time he was absolutely gung-ho for who was his boss? Who had told him to push this? You understand, these guys are told what to do. Told what to do. You get all these clues, and it goes over people's heads all the time. It's quite something. And here's an article. Now, all these links, too, I'll put up on my site at the end of the show. It's going to cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Here's from the American Civil Liberties Union. They've taken up the banner, after many others have taken up, about something that's happening on low-level terrorism. It says, ACLU challenges Defense Department personnel policy to regard lawful protests as low-level terrorism. That's now what your protests are being called by Homeland Security. And this was done on the 6th or the 10th of June, I think it was 2009. Anti-terrorism training materials currently being used by the Department of Defense teaches personnel that free expression in the form of public protest should be regarded as low-level terrorism. ACLU attorneys are calling the approach an egregious insult to constitutional values and have sent a letter to the Department of Defense demanding that the offending materials be changed and that the Department of Defense send corrective information to all Department of Defense employees who received the erroneous training. Department of Defense employees cannot fully protect our nation and its values unless they understand that a core American value is the constitutional right to criticize our government through protest activities. Actually, under democracy, it's the, it's the last right the people have. If you're keeping any semblance of democracy, that's the only thing you're granted is the right to protest. After that, it's, you know, everyone knows. <clears throat> so it says here, the constitutional right to criticize our government through protest activities, said ACLU of Northern California attorney Anne Brick, it's fundamentally wrong to equate activism with terrorism. Among the multiple choice questions included in this level one anti-terrorism awareness training course, the Department of Defense asked the following, which of the following is an example of low-level terrorist activity? To answer correctly, the examinee must select protests. The ACLU sent a letter today to Gail McGinn, acting Under Secretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness, asking that the materials be corrected immediately. The ACLU points out that the misrepresentation of First Amendment freedoms is particularly disturbing when viewed in the context of a larger long-term pattern of domestic security initiatives by the government that have attempted to treat lawful dissent as terrorism. Examples, examples of this shameful pattern can be seen in the Pentagon's monitoring of at least 186 anti-military protests, the FBI's surveillance of potential protesters at the Republican National Convention, the Fresno County Sheriff Anti-Terrorism Unit's infiltration and surveillance of Peace Fresno, a community peace and social justice organization, and the covert surveillance 
by the Maryland State Police of local peace and anti-death penalty groups. Teaching employees that dissent on issues of public concern is something to be feared rather than respected is a dangerous counterproductive use of scarce security resources, making us less safe and less democratic, said Michael German, ACLU National Security Policy Council and former FBI special agent who co-signed the letter with Brick. The Level 1 Anti-Terrorism Awareness Course is an annual training requirement for all Department of Defense personnel that's fulfilled through web-based instruction. So, so there you go. It's interesting, too. I said, you know, what we're doing is blending the Soviet system with what was called loosely capitalism of the West. And we have this third way in between it that's come out of it, the, the synthesis of it all. And remember, too, we're using all the Soviet terminology of political correctness, where we can't say anything anymore with, with, for fear of being penalized or imprisoned. And you can't criticize governments. It's, it, that's when the term first came out with Bush Sr., uh, those who uh, hate government, government haters. That's what the, the term is started using. I thought that's odd because, or anti-government was another one, anti-government. If you criticize a policy of government, you're suddenly anti-government. It's like calling you a Nazi. You see, it shuts you up. And I thought that means that the opposition parties must be anti-government, because all they're doing is criticizing their side too, isn't it? But psychological warfare is used with terminology all the time. And it always has been our whole lives on the public. Psycholinguistics, it works very well. Very, very well. And... ID cards, interesting. ID cards for India from the Mail Online. 1.1 billion citizens will go into second largest citizens database. Daily Mail, 27th of June 2009. India is planning to provide 1.1 billion plus citizens with ID cards. Entrepreneur <laughs> Nandan Nilakani has been chosen to lead the ambitious project, which will be the second largest citizens database in a democracy, with China being the biggest. The government believes the scheme, which will be finalized over three years, will aid the delivery, and here's how they push it, of vital social services. But since when has India been into providing vital social services to the poorest people? Hmm? Well, it's nothing to do with that, of course. Nothing. Then, of course, the use after that, it will also see the scheme as a way to tackle increasing amounts of identity fraud and theft. And at a time of increased concern over the threat of militant violence to boost national security and help police and law officials. The whole world's going to get this. But actually, we are getting it after 2001, since everyone now is a suspect. <gasps> suspect. And a big one, too, from the Daily Cause, K-O-S. Uh, Henry Waxman's betrayal of our existence by uh, the bill H.R. 2749. It seems that all the worst of the food safety bills have been rolled into one Frankenstein version that Henry Waxman and as associated with drafting the H.R. 2749. Now, for some reason, they have passed it off to Dingle, who already had another food safety bill, H.R. 759, which covers tracing in NAIS 
and globalisation of food. It says HR 2749, if one looks closely, is fascist and all the things that people were criticising the other bills, such as HR 8754, all denied by Deloro and FWW, turn out to be not only true, but worse than the worst that was reported. For those who want to see a bit of what Waxman will do in this country, here are some of the provisions which can be found at foodfreedom.wordpress.com. Just here about the provisions. HR 2749 would impose an annual registration fee of $500 on any facility that holds, processes, or manufactures food. Try that for your kitchen or your garden. Although farms are exempt, the agency has defined farm narrowly. What is the definition? And people making food such as lacto-fermented vegetables, cheeses, or breads would be required to register and pay the fee, which could drive the beginning and small producers out of business during difficult economic times. Well, you understand that under the Maurice Strong Rothschild et al. system they're bringing in, you will be helpless as far as feeding, clothing, eating, and sustaining yourself. You have to be interdependent on their system. See, that's what it's all really, really about. HR 2749 would empower FDA to regulate how crops are raised and harvested. It puts the federal government right on the farm, dictating to our farmers, well, as you see, Canada, they've been doing this since the 50s here, and put them out. You know, the beekeepers, too, can't move. They can't turn without inspectors now. Lots of them were put under by the government when they demanded they build a separate building just for the inspector's visits. And he gets his white coat on and his white boots on and all the rest of it, his gloves on. Then they had to spend thousands of dollars to get a big spinner, the big drum that spins the honey out of the, of the comb. It cost thousands and thousands of bucks. And if they couldn't do that, they were using the old ones. Their, their license was withdrawn and they were put out of business. Then they were told if they could afford that, then they couldn't sell locally like they'd always done. The government would tell you what stores you would sell to. You wouldn't believe how many fingers they have in so many pies. But now they're going the whole way with all farming, the last little bit to go. There's not much left to go. It says your farmers eventually will be slaves on the land doing the work they're ordered to do, etc., etc. And that's what's going to happen. And I'll put this link up as well at the end of the show. It's astonishing, as I say, but not really when you've been following this for years, that was always the, the, the way it was going. During and after World War II, when the United Nations said that farming was too important to be left to farmers, that was the United Nations Department of Agriculture. Uh, we have a caller on the line, that's Rick from Toronto. Are you there, Rico? Yeah, I'm there. I, yes. I don't know. Yes, not bad. Good. Um, I was reading, because um, I, I, I read the, the Prince Machiavelli before, yeah. and um, I decided to, to just read the Plato the Republic, right? just just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I've been reading it, and it, it's just like you read the arguments, and I'm like, Machiavelli like, had nothing on these guys. Yes. You know, yes. Because they were going back and forth, and they're saying how the, the evil man must appear good, Mm-hmm. And the good man is not smart enough to appear uh, um, to, to to appear good.
bad light. Yeah. Because he, he's not. So it's like everything is is, is reversed. Everything. Everything is, like, is reversed. That's correct. It's, it's a it's a science. It's a science. We've we've lived through many instances of this too, where they can tar certain segments of society. Even even you know people think about smokers. They were they were actually targeted with a war on smoking by the United Nations. Mm-hmm. But when you hear presidents and people at the United Nations say a war, they mean a war. That means winning at all costs. But, and then they went on a war on obesity, and now they're slandering people who are obese. And they can target any group, doesn't matter who you are, and make you appear suddenly, suddenly, overnight, a very bad person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 was, it was just like, incredible because, I, I like I said, I read Machiavelli and it always seems like uh, he's trying to say, you know, this is the practical way, the ruthless way, you know, yeah. um, to, to get things done. But these guys, I was like, well, I know where he got it from now. Cause mm-hmm. Another one to read too is the uh, the booklet, uh, the book that um, Francis Bacon wrote to the king mm-hmm. on advice on handling certain uh, emergencies and problems and so on. There's a lot written through in the back room there, but um, it's, uh, it's really a, a, a compendium of advice to, to King James at first. Uh, it's very, very interesting what you, you in there, too. You can't uh, add another point. Can I hold on? Pardon? Yeah, you can. Yeah, hold on, and we'll come back after this break. Download your um, your 
your material from the archive there, Alan. Yeah, whose archive? Your archive. On my site. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. Is that is that available to me? It is. Yeah. Oh, my friend says uh, we're not able to do it anymore. I guess uh, he he was mistaken. It must be. Some people uh, will use different players, and sometimes you have to upgrade your player or something. Or if you have upgraded your player, you have to reset the thing or it won't do it. There's a whole bunch of problems it can create. But uh, no, the archives are still up there and they're all okay. accessible. Good, good. I just uh, I, I was I I missed uh, most of the show and I and I got in late. Uh, I guess may, I guess you know about the Clean Water Act being passed in the states right now. Do you? Oh yeah, yeah. I've watched this one go for for, for ages and. It, well, it's all, it even told us years ago when it would pass, and they're always right because it's just an agenda we're living through. There's no debates about this stuff. It's just a format uh, uh, on the calendar. I guess, uh, I guess the vote went through today uh, 12 to 7. Now it has to go to uh, Congress now. Or, or, uh, to the it's a shoo-in. Why, why even wait? It's a shoo-in. Personally, I'd rather they just give us a dictator. Uh, who goes along with the same mandate. We don't need the charade of paying all these other boys who sit like trained seals uh, clapping for their party boss. How, how is it that the people of the United States have forgotten that they're not a democracy, that they're a republic? They're ruled by law. When it doesn't matter. Since law, President, Wilson, President Wilson was the first guy to say it when he brought in the League of Nations that he hoped that they'd all follow the democracy of the United States. And that's been repeated ever since then. Uh, so much that the, and again, it's been taught through the schools as a democratic republic, and then they, they dropped the republic part, and now they're just democratic. Well, now they're international. In fact, uh, the U.S. is leading uh, democracy across the planet. Democracy, of course, is not what the people of the public think it is. Democracy is really a cover, always was, for the very rich men of the world to run the world as they see fit. And that's what it really is. Right. But thanks for calling. That's the music come in uh, from Hamish, myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.